Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we put the spotlight on comedian, actor, writer, producer, and director. She is best known for creating and starring in the NBC series Whitney, and she also co-created and co-wrote, by the way, the Emmy-nominated CBS comedy series Two Broke Girls. And on top of all that, she'll be coming to Boston this spring, headlining the Women in Comedy Festival at the Wilbur. Whitney Cummings is on with us this morning. Hi, Whitney. Welcome to the show. That intro made me feel tired. Oh, <laughs> well, you're like, busy. Oh, you're a busy lady. What did My, I do all that? I, I don't. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I'm 37 years old, and I feel like I've accomplished nothing. <laughs> you have done so much in your life. I am so impressed by you. I, I just have to ask you, why comedy? Like, I'm always curious when we, you know, if we oh. talk to celebrities or comedians, like, why comedy? What made you? you know, little Whitney Cummings from Washington, D.C., want to go into making people laugh? A bad childhood? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you if you pick comedy. I think comedy kind of picks you or becomes, uh, you know, the sort of last resort of how to get attention from people. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a, you know, I, I think that, and I always thank my mom for this because I was so... Um, you know, for so long thought it was maybe a bad thing. Cause my mom worked. I grew up watching a single mom work mm-hmm. her tush off, you know, and I always um, had so much admiration for her, but I also just wanted to get her attention and I would always just try to make her laugh. And, you know, now we talk and laugh and I go, she's like, I feel like I was such a deadbeat mom. I was like, no, number one, you set an example for me of someone that needs to hustle. And number two, you taught me how to be funny because I was trying so hard to get your attention. Mm-hmm. It was like you... That's I feel point. like I should give you a percentage, um, you know, so I think that uh, I think that, you know, it's just the natural sort of environment of my ch- hectic childhood, not getting enough validation ultimately helped me build a skill set uh, later on that that helps me pay my mortgage. So I have no complaints. So you are a regular roundtable guest on Chelsea Handler's show, Chelsea Lately. And I, I'm telling you, I would, I would look forward to when you would be on and when you'd be featured because everything, everything that you talk about was so spot on. It was so funny. Do you ever get nervous that, you know, that jokes will fall flat or that nobody will laugh? I mean, what do you do if you have an awkward situation like that? What's the best way that you would handle it? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen anymore, really, unless it's something that's like a woke police justice warrior thing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I I don't, I imagine isn't going to be a big thing in Boston. I think, you know, in my times in Boston, which have been many, you know, whenever I come to the world where people are there to laugh, sometimes people are there to check, you know, the Red Sox scores simultaneously (laughs) (laughs) last time i was at the wilbur theater the red sox were playing a game so i made sure i was like can you guys please make sure i'm not up against the red sox and it was so funny because every like 10 minutes i just had to stop the show and be like all right let's check the score (laughs) oh you're so Um, funny that is hysterical yeah i think you'll be good this time around (laughs) 
We don't have much happening. Uh, you're right. I was, I'm in Boston. I realize I do not come first. I realize I am your second priority tonight. And oh like, God. I'm going to help you navigate this. But um, yeah, it doesn't happen so much anymore. You, you know, you get to a point where you kind of know what's going to hit. You know, if something doesn't hit, you've you know, I think I usually be able to go back and go like, oh, right, that thing was in the news or, oh, people are kind of sensitive about this or that. But, you know, I think that people really, for the most part, want to laugh. I think this whole conversation about comedians being silenced, I think that's a very, like, Los Angeles blogger thing. America wants to laugh. People want to laugh. You know, I'm the new show I put together that I'll be doing in Boston has no politics in it. I don't think people want to be lectured by comedians on how to vote mm-hmm. um, or how to you know, make their personal decisions or raise their kids. So, you know, I think if you just stick to actually trying to make people laugh, that will happen. <laughs> and that's funny that you brought that up because I, I was going to ask you about that. And, you know, your your fourth stand-up special, Can I Touch It, was out on Netflix over the summer. And, you know, I watch, I mean, everybody watches Netflix and it's it's so huge right now. And, you know, watching Dave Chappelle, and I know comedians have talked about this for a long time, but sort of being afraid of what to say or having to watch what you say. And I was going to ask your take on that because you've been very successful in this business. You know, what are you, what are your thoughts on it? Was it really bad or did you sort of have this, um, this rule of thought in your brain that, you know what, if it's funny, it's funny, I'll just say it. Or did you ever worry about what you were saying that it was going to, you know, annoy someone or bother someone or do you not care? Everything is going to annoy someone. You know, there's there's always going to be someone that's going to be annoyed by something completely benign. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, being a comedian, you just can't think that way. You just can't operate from a place of fear. And you just have to go, look, like, if that just made 300 people laugh at the comedy store, now I'm going to try to go make 500 people laugh, and then I'm going to go make 1,000 people laugh, and I'm going to make 2,000 people And you know what? The people that aren't here, they don't have to think it's funny. Right. <laughs> they're here, you know, they're laughing, and that's all that really matters. I, You know, I, I, there's you can find someone out there that's going to hate or not laugh or not like anything. That's just how we're built, right? So I think right now this, um, I think it's being blown way out of proportion, this idea that no one wants comedy. That is just completely untrue. Um, you know, the com- I can't wait to come to the comedy festival to see how wrong these news <laughs> have, right. have been. People, lines around the block just going, say something edgy. Mm-hmm. Say something we, you know, don't get to hear every day. Say something facetious. You know, I think most human beings outside of the hypersensitive, like, blog sphere, Twitter sphere, which isn't even a reflection of real life, most people want to hear something offensive and outlandish. Right. And it's ridiculous. We're comedians. We're not politicians. We're not lawmakers. You know, we're, we're not, um, you know, taking ourselves as seriously as a lot of people might think, you know, that we do. I think for the most part, we just want to give people an hour and a half away from their lives and and responsibilities and obligations and stresses and like just make some jokes right i agree and (laughs) you know what i never thought i'd miss fart jokes you know (laughs) right wow not my style but like people just want to laugh where do they go for that that's why that's why television is getting killed because people are going you know what if you guys aren't going to make jokes then we're going to go to youtube right so these people that have nothing to lose are going to make jokes I know, and I was going to ask about, you know, regular TV versus, you know, the Netflix and the Hulus and all the streaming services. I mean, what do you, as a comedian and a writer and a director, I mean, you do everything. And I love the fact that you also do a lot with the writing. You do a lot with the behind the scenes. I mean, you're like the real package, everything. What, where do you think TV is going? I mean, do you think it's going more for the streaming, for the immediate everything out at once? Or do you think that network TV still has a chance? 
it's going to go where the good content is, you know? And I think that, you know, people tend to say like, oh, well, there's this new network coming out. It's, it's not good shows that are going to make people laugh. It's not going to do well, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the audience, you guys listening, decide what succeeds. We don't decide what succeeds. We decide what get, a, get awards and stuff because that's like our little sort of Hollywood prom where we pick our favorites. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that good shows get discovered regardless of what network they're on. Nobody cares. Like no one's, you know, like I only watch Hulu shows. I'm loyal to only, no one thinks that way. They're like, I'm going to go see this Handmaid's Tale because it's on Hulu. It's on, yeah. You know, the the artists and the, you know, demand is, is really what drives it. You know, it's like people go to Netflix because they can sit there and there's a lot of really good shows. Um, I think that when people say like, oh, network TV is dead, it's like because they started making shows that were too safe and that mm-hmm. were pandering and that weren't good enough you know i've sat in those network meetings where they say like well do you think people in america are smart enough to get this and you're like yeah i do i tour around the country they're not why what is this idea that people are stupid well that was my next question to you you from got that right and that i going from performing on a stage to writing you know these gigantic comedies for tv how did you go from from one level to the next i mean please tell me because i want to know what your secret is from you know, being a stand-up comic to being, you know, a writer and a director for Emmy-nominated shows on major networks. I mean, what what was that like? And how did you get there? Oh, God. It was a very long uh, process that I've mostly blacked out. But it was just, <laughs> you know, it's like, any, it's like any job, you know. You're working your tush off. You know, there's a little bit of luck, but mostly grit and hard work and hearing a lot of no and failing a lot and embarrassing yourself a lot and, um you know, just working. I mean, I, I, for, for, you know, 10, 15 years was just constantly writing, constantly working, you know, in a business that, you know, I mean, being a funny woman wasn't like super, I mean, 10 years ago, no one wanted that. Right. (laughs) Well, new thing. Exactly. People like, you know, so it was just sort of like, Oh God, she's loud. There was no such thing as funny woman. It was just loud, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, just at least in that, there have been plenty, I, I argue, there have been plenty of funny women before this moment, you know, the Joan Rivers and the Phyllis Dillers and the, you know, Rita Redners. It's, it's not new that there's funny women in television, you know, Lucille Ball is, my, you know, my hero, but there was a time where it was not as in vogue as, as it is right now. And it's like any other job, you know, you work your tush off, you deal with the unfairness and the sexism mm-hmm. and, the, you know, I, I refuse to believe that Hollywood is the only place where there's sexism of and that things not. are hard, you know? Right, right. There's this sort of narrative that it's so hard to be in Hollywood, like, there's no job harder <laughs> than, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's... I talk to people in other fields when I tour around the country and I talk to nurses and I talk to, oh, you know, yeah. women in law school and I'm like, God, that sounds hard. You know, you getting up, you get up at, what, 5 a.m. every morning? I didn't do that. Oh, God, my alarm goes off at 3.30 in the morning. I have no idea why. Oh, my God. <laughs> that to me, people think being a comedian is the hardest thing in the world. I get to work at night at 9 p.m. for about an hour and make a bunch of people laugh, and then I get to sleep in the next day. So oh God, I, what is that know, like? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go. Oh my God, my life is impossible, and I'm such a, you know, victim. And you know, look, I, I, I feel so lucky. Like it, it was always my dream. I used to come to Boston to a club called the uh, Comedy Connection in oh, Central yeah. Hall. Yep, know it and well. It, mm-hmm. it, long wide room i would watch gary gallman i would watch dane cook um you know i would watch dennis leary i mean i remember um uh going there and just being like if i can just get up there and yeah. then now to be on the phone with you coming to do the wilbur theater i mean it's just um i have nothing but 
I mean, I'm, every day I'm just like, this is so cool. Oh my god! I well, you're good. You're good at what you do. I mean, you're you're natural. You're genuine, and I I need that. It's it's again like what you go back to with not worrying about what people think. You're always somebody's always going to be upset. I so appreciate your honesty and your just genuineness in your body language and your facial expressions. You are hysterical to watch, and I I mean, not like you have enough going on. You're starring in and executive producing a new half-hour comedy for Amazon called Good People. You co-created it alongside Lee Daniels. What can you tell us about this show? Oh, my gosh. Almost nothing. Um, because, <laughs> you know, shows... I, I'm, I've gotten to the point I've had my heart broken so many times by everything except stand-up and now podcasting, <laughs> where you make something, you love it, and you send it to a bunch of business executives, <laughs> right. and then... Hope that it checks all of the business boxes of, you know, because, I mean, that's the one thing about streaming, which you brought up, is that things go global right away. It used to be that an American TV show you would make, and if it did well in America, then they'd send it all around the world a couple seasons later. But now it's going all around the world right away. So they want something very specific, and Lord of the Rings and these big, big shows, uh, Marvel shows, you know, do really well because they translate. So I like to make really specific, small, weird things, and... You know, and it might not translate it, it might, but that's why I like to focus on stand up. And then I started a podcast because I was like, I, this business is just too crazy. Right. <laughs> and it, and uh, so I'm just going to, you know, make sure that I'm able to do things in the meantime where I can still connect with my fans and, um, you know, create content. And because uh, I think people are moving away from the artifice a little bit of television and moving into podcasts and mm-hmm. YouTube where they're like, I just want to see someone being authentic and not trying to sell me something. Yep. And, you know, not trying to sort of like preach to me through a TV show. So I'm in very much an, this will be an experimental year. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. If you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. And we've been chatting with comedian, actor, writer, producer, and director, Whitney Cummings. She's best known for creating and starring in the NBC series, Whitney, and also for co-creating the Emmy-nominated CBS comedy series, Two Broke Girls, Whitney will be headlining the Women in Comedy Festival right here in Boston at the Wilbur on Saturday, May 9th. Let's get back to our conversation. Well, let's let's move on to the Women in Comedy Festival because and it's always such a great show. But one of their goals is to close the gender gap in comedy, you know, showing women, supporting women, which I think we need to do so much more of. Do you think that it's working? You know, are women in this business getting better about bringing other women up? I mean, how, how is that from your perspective? I mean, I will probably get in trouble for this. You know, I mean, look, like, you know, I know a lot of great women that have supported women since the beginning of the career, you know, for 15 years. I've seen it. And then I've seen women not do it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it depends on the situation. Like, I don't, I think, you know, most women just want to do their jobs well and they don't also want to have to go like, oh, and now I have to mentor nine people. Let me, I also right, have two true. kids and I, you know, right, so... Right. It's, I try to not go, every woman needs to be also hiring other women. You, you'll, I think, in my experience, the women are usually just very qualified and I hire them. <laughs> and not because I have to or because someone's making me, um, you know, but I think in this business, it's, it's, really, it's really tricky because right now, it's, I, I just can't have this conversation without having a childcare conversation because what no one's talking about is that a lot of women are getting offered jobs that they can't take because mm-hmm. they can't go to New Zealand for eight months with no child care. Right. Uh, so right. I get offered jo- a lot of jobs to direct movies. I don't take them for a bunch of reasons, but I have animals. I have, 
you know, I don't have kids, but I, I don't want to go to, you know, um, you know, Puerto Rico for two years. I don't want to go to Vancouver for 12 months. Most people have kids, women have kids in school. So until they can figure out, okay, we're going to shoot more in LA, we're going to shoot more in New York where the female directors can actually say yes, because they can go pick their kids up from school, or there's going to be a childcare situation. It's hard for me to even talk about, you know, people really want to go, there aren't enough female directors, not enough movies, you know, directed by females. A lot of women were offered those jobs. They just had to pass because they had kids. I love that you bring that up, though. I mean, I have three small children under the age of nine. And if I didn't work, you know, early mornings to be home by noontime, you know, to be able to pick them up from school, I mean, it's, I I can't work a regular nine to five job. I just can't do it. And I I love that you brought that up. I think that hits so many women that are listening to our show. And it's so important to bring up that conversation. I I love that you just brought it up. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's just frustrating to me because I'm just like, we're all like, I think that, you know, it's been so hard for so long and there's been so much inequality for so long that I understand the pendulum swinging kind of hard. Mm-hmm. But like I I like just sticking to facts and numbers and going like, OK, this number reflects the number of women that were able to accept the job, not the number of women that were offered the job. Let's look at that discrepancy, you it. know, because I try to hire women all the time that are like, well, I can't go to Vancouver for eight months. Or, I, I, you know, I, right. it just doesn't make sense. I want to be able to pick my kid up from school. So until we're able to reorganize the business slightly so that women can actually say yes when they're offered the job during this big moment of progress, I, it's just it's it's frustrating for me to talk about because I just don't want to be the person that's like, only 6% of women direct movie, only 6% of it's like, it's well, a good point, okay. Though. Yeah, but it's a good point. You know, Was why there- are we just going to keep saying the same thing without making real change? Was there any one person, I mean, because you've had a, a crazy ride to get to this point, was there any one person in your life that you would say really helped you or, or like super inspired you along the way? Someone that stands out, someone that like without them, I wouldn't have felt this way to do X, Y, Z or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michael Patrick King, who did uh, Sex in the City and we co-created Two Broke Girls together. He has the new RuPaul show out um, on Netflix now. And, you know, making Two Broke Girls with him was you know, really amazing because we were able to make a show about two women starting a business mm-hmm. and it had nothing to do with men. There were no love stories. It's a great show. No, but how's she going to get the guy? You know, that was a big deal to me to create a show where not everyone was like, but is she going to be engaged? Well, is she dating? Mm-hmm. Is she getting married? It was like, no, she's starting a business. She doesn't have time for that. So, or that comes second. Whereas most of the shows that I had seen or even that I'd been writing myself, I always thought the man had to be the center of the story that, uh, and that the only thing a woman we'd believably, you know, uh, buy that she would care about or that would have any stakes would be her trying to get the man. And that show is hysterical and it's hysterical and it's, and it's, and it's better than probably most of the shows that were ever on network TV. And it was enjoyable to watch. It was real. And as a woman, like I just appreciated it. So I think what you do is amazing. Um, before we let you go, you know, what would you be doing if you if you weren't a comedian, you weren't a writer or a director or actor? Is there another job out there that you would have ended up doing if you if you didn't have this life that you have now? I mean, this is probably like, you know, a, a cop out answer, but, you know, because it is a similar thing. But I did I started a podcast and I love it. Like it maybe it's closer to what you do. You know, mm-hmm. um, I like the idea of not like you know, being pressured to be funny every single second and to be able to flesh things out and um, interview people that I have questions for. I'm so sick of myself. Uh, that it's really, uh, 
you know, doing a podcast because like, I was always doing Joe Rogan's show and, yeah. you know, um, other people's, Theo and, and Bobby Lee and all these people I'm sure you guys know. And I, um, I just, I noticed there weren't a lot of women, like female comics that had podcasts. And I was like, this is so weird. All the men are getting all the money. Um, why don't I do one? And I just did it. And, I, and I'm having a blast. Well, you're doing a great job. And for anyone listening right now, if you want tickets to the Women in Comedy Festival, you can go to WICF.com or you can go right to Whitney's site, WhitneyCummings.com for all things Whitney, our upcoming tour dates. We'll put a link on our page, Magic1067.com. Whitney Cummings, you are such a true talent. I was so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on Exceptional Women here in Boston. We love you. Awesome. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Thanks for taking the time. I'll awesome. see you soon. Thank you to Whitney Cummings for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk to celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Email us if you know someone you'd like to suggest. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to join us every Sunday morning at 730 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Thanks for listening and have a great day, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law.